Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. He's from Hong Kong. He's from LA. Boom. That's all you need to know. He's good at punching and he's good at shouting. Can I just say, when Paul, when Paul just said uh, he's from Hong Kong, he's from LA, for some reason I imagined it as one of the lyrics to Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy. He's from Hong Kong. He's from LA. <laughs> right. What more what can, can I, I say? Right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the heart. Face. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by someone who I would class as the other half of my buddy cop duo, but that would suggest he's not the one committing the crimes. It's Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> well, again, I'll go back to your New Year's resolution of uh, you want to be less nice. So. Yeah, I, I, I think you've misconstrued the idea of of meanness versus criminality <laughs> illegal activities <laughs> yeah i feel like i can be a i feel like i can be strict on you without like breaking the law craig how are you feeling anyway how are you doing oh it's fine until you suggested i'm a criminal like <laughs> there's no go- going back on that now so uh yeah we best we best move on <laughs> yeah you better had right so over to those who are joining us this week so first up uh it is uh, a previous guest he is a film journalist and editor it is Paul Klein. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello. So, uh, Paul, the last time you joined us, uh, it was quite a while ago, where we were actually recapping uh, the films we had discussed for uh, half of last year. So uh, thank you very much for talking through not just one film, but a few films that we'd been... Yeah, most of them were good. Yeah, we were pretty lucky at that <laughs> stage. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how, how have you been over the past few months? I know you've been uh, quite busy with like interviews and stuff like that, like press junkets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate and, you know, working... And then Christmas came and not working, just eating my 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 weight at the time in other foods, and I'm double the size. Trying trying to catch up on films that I haven't watched as well because there's a lot of them, and I put things off until the last minute. Still haven't seen Tar. Too much too much discourse. Can't be bothered. I'll wait till the discourse dies down, and then I'll get I'll give it a look. That was like me with Black Adam of all things. <laughs> I saw that the day it came out. I was like. This is like the this is like the most rich tea biscuit film I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like I would love that on a poster. I would like love to see like rich the rich tea rocks biscuit film, that. Paul Klein film. Yeah. <laughs> no, like it's like it's like not awful, and it's not good. It's just like it's like yeah, I watched that, and there were some bits where I went oh, and there were some bits where I was like oh, dumb. A hierarchy did shift, as Dwayne Johnson promised. Oh, God, don't even go there. So, 
Well, I'm not sure whether you'll suggest Dwayne <laughs> The Rock Johnson for this one, but uh, as we're talking about a sort of buddy cop film today, uh, we wanted to ask our guests, what actor would you choose to play your crime-solving partner? So, Paul, what, what, who comes to mind when you well, think of this question? See, I, see, I was thinking about this. I think you need, like, you know, you, you can't have two people who are too similar because that'd be boring. And I'm quite a grumpy, low-energy guy. So I was thinking I'd need someone like Anna Kendrick she can be so you know like i'm the tommy lee jones and she can be the will smith doing shtick and i can just sort of stare at her disapprovingly <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking anna kendrick she can do all the heavy lifting comedy wise and i can just sort of sit down and do <laughs> do very little <laughs> yeah I'm, the, I'm 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 the i'm the straight man i'm the i'm tommy lee jones and men in black and then she's the one that's like oh i'm doing loads of riffs and i'm just there like eh. Uh, you're just putting up with it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, um, we can't wait to talk more about Buddy Cop uh, movies with today's choice with you, Paul. Uh, on to our next guest. It is his first time joining us on Well Good Movies. It is video game journalist Aaron Potter. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Thanks for having Hello. me. Excited to be no here. No problem. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So, uh, yeah, Aaron, tell us all about yourself. What... Uh, what do you do for work and uh, what sort of encapsulates you as a film fan and a yeah yeah cinema goer <laughs> yeah so i'm like you said i'm primarily a video game journalist but i have dabbled in the dark arts of film journalism uh, all the time i think uh, paul knows exactly what i'm talking about um but no primarily video games you probably uh, have read me places like den of geek games radar uh, wired kotaku back in the day um, but also some pretty cool places in terms of, you know, trying to find any excuse to talk about film, really. There's this really cool independent uh, magazine called On Screen, which I would urge anybody to check out. Um, they're, they're really passionate. But in terms of my film viewing history, um, how can you not like film? The cinema is a palace. It's the place you go to when you want to escape uh, without sounding too cheesy or or like Nicole Kidman in those AMC adverts the US audience are always banging on about. But I grew up uh, in the generation where you would go to Cineworld and there was this really freaky advert. I don't know if anybody else remembers it, where a digital lady jumps out the screen, picks up someone's phone and then crushes it and throws it in the bin. And it was, you oh, know, wow. turn your phone off. Does that ring any bells for anybody or have I imagined that? I'm a poor man. I used to go to View. Where we just had uh, we just had the Orange Wednesday adverts with whichever yes. celebrity they could blackmail into pretending they care. Was that in the boardroom? Yeah, and sometimes they would have like yeah. Darth Vader turn up. Darth Vader, or there was one where it was Sean Astin, and the joke was he gets off the chair and he's really short because he's a hobbit. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. There's a, there was a few good ones. There was a good woman on a bus with Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Wasn't there one with Steven Seagal as well? And obviously, oh, Steven Seagal to do anything is just an absolute nightmare. So I don't envy them there. Yeah. Probably. I worked in a cinema for years as well. And uh, so that it's not much of an escape for me. It's more like you know, <laughs> going back to the, the trenches memories. of Vietnam. I was going to say, if you're going to play the poor man card, David and I used to go to Showcase until we finally got Odie and like Limitless membership. Okay, so you guys are going to have to explain to me what the hierarchy of the cinema chains in here, because from my perspective, Cineworld is like, you know, budget. So it's a war between Odeon and Cineworld for top. Oh, wow. Unless, no, but you're talking like every man and stuff like that as well, though. Oh, no, because no, no, then you've got like Curzon, which is like, hoo-hoo. Yeah, but there are loads of cinemas who are just like, we're not going to deal with the mainstream. Like, we don't <laughs> yeah. care if we don't take... And I'm not just saying that because I was on their podcast. 
Cheers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, well, cheers for having me. Lovely time. <laughs> I'll stand up. I'll stand up for every man uh, any day of the week. No, every man's a good. Every man's a good. Curzons are good. I I don't. I worked. I worked. I worked in Odeon for like ten years in right. two different branches. So whenever people are like, oh, I love Odeon, I'm like. Yeah, I think it just depends. It depends where you are, I think, isn't it? Because, like, isn't the Bristol one, like, they only show, like, two films a day and stuff. And somebody said to me, like, oh, it's really old and stuff. But again, like, whereas Craig's talking about the showcase that we uh, sort of grew up near, that, like, has not changed in, like, about 20, 25 years. And it's, like, yeah. the, the same carpet and everything like that. So it just depends on whether they've invested in that cinema, I guess. I worked in I worked in one that had an IMAX screen for a couple of years. And it was it was okay. It was pretty good. And then I, then I moved to a... And that was 12 screens. And then I moved to a six screen one and it was a really old listed building and it was like you know the jim carrey ah. film the majestic it was like some of the it looked like because it, it used to be a theater and honestly it was like just every single thing it was stained glass it was so old it was just such an old building. stained glass in a cinema oh, oh yeah there was yeah state yeah oh, it, it was it was a nice building but obviously just it was not built to be a cinema so you know the stock rooms were on like the other side of the building to where you wanted to put the stock and you'd have to carry six massive things full of sweets. And by the end of like a shift, I was like, you were a hench from all the carrying <laughs> by the sides of it. Well, do you know what? I would have been if I wasn't also eating loads of popcorn and drinking <laughs> loads of fizzy drinks, which I shouldn't have been doing. What are they going to do? Get work there for three years. But, oh God. Uh, same question to you as to Paul. Uh, if you had to choose an actor to play your crime-solving partner, who would it be? So I kind of, again, with the whole buddy cop thing, you have to sort of play the opposites off each other, right? So, And I'm a pretty laid-back, easy-going person. I don't think I'd call myself a grump as Paul did, but that's why I went for a grump, arguably the ultimate grump. And he's been in the news recently. It is the one and only Harrison Ford, because I just think he'd be sleepwalking his way through the entire investigation, which might not be ideal for you know solving a crime or a murder but he he wouldn't probably wouldn't know where he is everything would freak him out i'd get david blaine to come and do tricks at him whenever he was bored just to keep him awake uh like that famous uh famous clip i love so much so yeah um even though he started in a movie called blade runner where he wasn't particularly very good at blade running um i think harrison ford would be uh, a right laugh don't get in a plane reasons. with him for the love of god don't get in a plane with him he <laughs> He's a great pilot, recently, but he can't land them very well. I recently got on a plane with Jared Butler, and I quite enjoyed my time, I'll have you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, the thing I think of when I think of grumpy Harrison Ford is mainly Mark Hamill's impression of Harrison Ford. I just love when he's just like, I don't sound like that, and it's just like, this is so great. <laughs> so, you, like, that probably would be a good buddy cop thing there. So I don't know how much of a Mark Hamill you are, Aaron, but, you know, Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford would make a good uh, buddy cop duo. I was just going to say, I also remember that clip of uh, Han Solo in the Force, uh, the Force Awakens, where he's like, "That's not how the Force works." Yeah, I just imagine interactions like that. A that lot. is the most animated he had been in a film for about fifteen years, and it was because yep. he knew that he was getting killed off, and he he could taste the uh, the time yeah. off taste from the Well, we can't wait to talk to you guys all about uh, today's film, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one, and uh, yeah. For anyone out there who is listening right now as well, do remember to leave us a review and interact with us wherever you can uh, on the likes of social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Well Good Movies uh, or where you're listening to this podcast, whether that be somewhere like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, it all really helps the podcast grow and means we can see what you guys want to hear and what you enjoy the most. 
But now on with the show. So let's kick off things with today's film. So Craig, for those who didn't catch our last episode, check it out if you haven't. Or for those who need a reminder, what is it we're discussing today and what led us here today? So after we were tasked with watching the, the film Seven, uh, which has many, many genres that we still haven't actually quite agreed on, um, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again. Uh, I made David put his hand in a box several, several times and he had no idea what it was that he was feeling. He has since had to remove half of that episode um, because it sounded too graphic. But in the end, it was Ed who was able to decipher most what's in the box and he got us to talk about the 1998 buddy cop film of Rush Hour. Detective James Carter loved his job until he got a partner. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Now, the fastest hands in the East Do it again. team up with the biggest mouth in the West. Which one of y'all kick me? Jackie Chan. Bitch boy. Chris Tucker. Ever touch a black man's radio, boy? Rush Hour, rated PG-13. Yep, we'll be talking all about Rush Hour as well as asking whether it deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. For those who don't know, uh, Rush Hour was released in 1998. It stars Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, directed by Brett Ratner. We're back in a territory we were in last time where we had mentioned uh, Kevin Spacey. So this was written by Jim Koff and Ross Lamana. The soundtrack is by Lilo Schriffin. Uh, cinematography by Adam Greenberg and edited by Adam Helfrich. The plot summary is when the 11-year-old daughter of the Chinese consul in Los Angeles, Han, is kidnapped in broad daylight, the desperate father insists on summoning his old friend and Hong Kong police ace detective, Inspector Lee, to assist the FBI in the investigation. However, as the Bureau is far from keen on allowing the newcomer to get in their way, they pair him up with the motor-mouthed LAPD detective, James Carter, to watch over him. Eventually, the mismatched duo of reluctant partners team up to solve the mystery before the FBI. Uh, the film also stars Rex Lynn, Elizabeth Penner, Chris Penn, Ken Lung, Tom Wilkinson, Ji Ma, Mark Ralston, Philip Baker Hall, and Julia Hisu. Guys, what is your sort of like memories and immediate feelings when we kind of like mentioned uh, Rush Hour as the film we'd be discussing? Aaron, did you have any kind of like immediate thoughts on uh, on talking about this film? And do you have any sort of memories of previously watching it or experiencing it? Yeah, of course. How can you grow up uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s and not come across uh, the, well, I was going to say the miracle of Rush Hour then. Let's not evangelize this movie. I mean, it is pretty good. Um, no, my memories of this film, I, we talked about this uh, prior to me coming on, but Rush Hour 2. For me is the sort of apex of this trilogy i don't know i don't know if that is the gen generally accepted consensus i guess we'll find out on this podcast late a bit later on um but i mean rush hour the original still a great film it's definitely the one i haven't watched uh, it's the one i've watched the least out of the three so in a way doing having this discussion was a good way to revisit it and um you know re-watching it now it's still a really good time. I think the one memory I do have is that, you know, on the playground uh, at school, obviously, you know, we shouldn't, have, shouldn't probably shouldn't have been watching, you know, uh, action movies of this caliber are so young, but I do have a distinct memory of kids on the playground sort of doing the, the gun turn move. 
that they repeatedly do throughout the uh, throughout the movie, where you you know you disarm someone from their gun and then turn it back on them within I don't know one sweeping maneuver. Um, you know, whenever you're playing like battles or military men or whatever, yeah, we, that was definitely something we did as as kids. Um, and yeah, I just remember really liking this film. I, I think. Um, I don't know whether it is because I've seen it the least. It's it's kind of like it sets a lot of the groundwork for future movies. But having said that, it definitely stands in, in its own right and um, definitely got some fond memories watching. Paul, what about yourself? Um, I I do remember I, I have seen all three, and I they all sort of merge into one in my head. So because I remember seeing them when I was like. I don't know. When did the third one come out? Like 2007. So that was probably around the time that I saw them all because everyone was talking about it. And I do remember I found them funny. I think for me, it was more I like Jackie Chan doing Jackie Chan stuff than uh, the plot. So that's why I don't remember the plots because I'm like, I don't know. So someone get kidnapped, second one, I don't know. Someone's death threat, maybe, I don't know. They go to, I know that the third one has Roman Polanski in it. And there's a there's a joke about you know body searches and it's like that's unfortunate, but I just we've already mentioned Brett Ratner yeah. and Kevin Spacey. I think this just, episode's about to implode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just remember, yeah, I just I happen I just remember the fights and stuff and that um there was a stand up comedian that used to do a bit about Jackie Chan and how he's always saying that he doesn't want to get into fights in films, and then like manages to walk into a place where there's loads of bad guys. And every time he's hitting someone, he's like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I just I want to be your friend. I know exactly that's what you're talking remember. about. Oh. That's all I can remember, really. And yeah, I mean, they may as well have just called the character Detective Jackie Chan. Like he and, you know, Detective Chris Tucker, they, they're not really acting. They're playing themselves. But I, yeah, I, revisiting it, I was a bit like, ah. Uh, this is so 90s. <laughs> this is so... You want to see where America was in the 90s? This is it. And kind of like movies in a way as well. That's why I always find it interesting when you watch stuff from like the 80s or 90s. And if you watch something like this now, like a buddy cop thing, it might be like a Netflix original or something like that. Or it might be made on a lower budget and it's filmed digitally. And I guess there has been quite a few like examples um recently uh where they saw sort of done that what was the one with Dave Bautista and uh what's his name the guy from Eternals and uh, they had that Stuba that's it yes yeah so, yeah Stuba so again back to my original point anyway so yeah you've had films like Stuba etc but there just seems to be I don't know something about it in which like they cut more corners and it seems like it's made for kind of streaming or it's like shot digitally. Whereas again, you watch something like this and you're like, oh, this is an actual movie. It, it looks similar to, you know, like blockbusters in some way. And I think it was interesting because when I was like looking up like the stats and stuff like that, it was like the cinematographer did work on things like Terminator and stuff like that. And I'm like, how crazy is that to think of now? There's, you know, somebody who's like the cinematographer on, you know, something like Terminator has also worked then on like Rush Hour. Whereas I'm not sure if that would happen as much now. Sorry, just to clarify did you watch this film and literally go wow this looks like a movie because if so you are the most e easy to please reviewer i've ever met in my life i'm done guys that that that's, that's my review <laughs> no but it is the guy who like was cinematographer he did terminator 2 ghost the term like the first terminator 
But it's just straight again. It's that element I just find with so more like older movies in which the guy who shot Die Hard directed the second Lara Croft film. Mm, yeah, there's a bit more of a connection there. Either way, what I'm saying is like older '90s films and stuff. They have that qu- filmic quality because obviously it's filmed on film. You know, like things which are shot digitally now. I think then, like we were saying before, have a quality that makes it feel like a TV special or something like that. So Craig, don't put your hand on your head because I'm making a point about how something looks like a, a film, film compared to a st- TV a television streaming movie that's what i'm saying so the magic of movies yeah but half of but half of this is literally going to just be like a technology sort of age thing we are in 2023 talking about this like what 25 years not 20 yeah yeah 25 years later but that's why i find yeah it's just it's, it's different when you talk about films from like the 90s and stuff like that there always seems to be a kind of different approach in the way right, that they're made and stuff like that budget all that kind of stuff <laughs> david i'm 100 with you this looks like a movie all right it's got yeah, like no, I'm, the I'm film a... the effects are practical there's people there's, yes there's stunt men hitting actual things and they're well, on location Chan knocking himself out every five yeah minutes. but also when you look at similar films that also like backs this up in terms of like obviously this had several sequels and also when you look at things like jackie chan to me was kind of like what The Rock might be to some people now in terms like he was that star, like also like Jim Carrey and like Jim Carrey in blank, you know, it was like Jackie Chan in this film. So he was a movie star, yeah. So here I was reminded of Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights when I was looking at the similar films. I was like, oh, I forgot about those. But again, it was just the idea of like, oh, it's the latest Jackie Chan film. What's going on here? The problem is is that Jackie Chan, obviously, it's not his fault, but obviously English is not his. I think it's Cantonese he speaks natively. He also speaks Mandarin, I believe. So obviously English is like a third language. So he's not great with dialogue. So you have to team him up with someone who's good with dialogue. So Chris Tucker makes sense. Owen Wilson's a weird one because Owen Owen Wilson is also not great with dialogue. He's like really laid back. So you've got this high energy guy and then just this laid back guy like, wow. It does, it does seem there was like this stretch of, of a period between the mid-90s and the early 2000s where it's, movie producers were like, who can we team Jackie Chan up with next? You know, Steve Coogan, Around the World in Eight Days, get, get him in that. Um, you know, poor Jackie Chan. He's, I mean, he's worked with some talented people, of course, but yeah. It is it is one of those ones that they never they never, they never never got the, the Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart double act of, oh, that works. He never found yeah. his Kevin Hart. To be fair, given how many sequels Rush Hour ended up getting, I feel like the Chris Tucker probably is like the closest to being successful. Can, can I, yeah, I just... Where is Chris Tucker these days? I don't know. I, I honestly don't care. don't like him. I'm sure we're going to talk about it like this later on, potentially, but I'll bring it up now. Like, Can we just you know acknowledge the fact that Rush Hour, Rush Hour 2 and Rush Hour 3, I don't know, there's like a 10-year time difference between them. Those are the back-to-back films that Chris Tucker did. He did nothing else in between. And that's always why when Rush Hour 4 and prospects of that happening actually gets brought up, I'm like, no, because Chris Tucker's done stuff since and it wouldn't feel the same. <laughs> He's done like two films since. It, like, Rush Silver Linings playbook got in the way is what I'm saying. Oh, my God. Oh, God. It'd be the similar vibes of when, you know, redoing um, Bill and Ted in the sense of, you know, because Keanu Reeves obviously went off and did a lot of stuff. But then, you know, Jackie Chan hasn't really been, uh, you know, in film all that much either recently so that's because he's really old (laughs) (laughs) you can't can't keep knocking yourself out that's what i remember about the behind the scenes was they were like oh jackie chan did a stunt and a light fixture fell on his head and it's like 
Get a stunt double. What was that film that was described or almost marketed as um, uh, Jackie Chan, but it's taken and his oh, daughter the one, may or the may one, not have um, died? The, the Foreigner. That was it, yeah. What a slog of a film. I love Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan Adventures is one of the great cartoons of my childhood. Now you're talking. Yeah, Jackie Chan Adventures was was the one. The Talismans, Uncle Shop. I'm still waiting for the 4K Blu-ray collection of Jackie Chan Adventures. Make it happen, people. I want all the talismans. I remember exactly. you, could get, you could get a magazine with each talisman, and I I never did, and I wish I did. I want them. Thanks to that series, like you know, you know the like, oh, it's the year of the tiger, and you like, you know <laughs> the kind of like Chinese animals of the of the years, etc. But oh wow, there it is, <laughs> Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh, is it the magazine? It's the magazine. I've got the container. Oh, wow. It all came in as well. My God, we are so far from Russia at this point. But Jackie Chan Adventures. Wow. Jackie Chan's the, Jackie Chan's a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger, where it's like he can't actually like. There are some action guys who are action guys, but they can act. Like Stallone's an action guy, but he can actually act. He's actually a very good actor. But Jackie Chan just can't act. Like, love him as I do. In the police story movies, he's just called like Jackie Chan. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, he's literally called like Detective Jackie Chan. It's like, oh, for God's sake. But that's what's interesting in that time period again is that he was also, because as you see it go along, it was like, who can we, it's like, like you guys said earlier, like, who can we pair him up with? But then also, I think his career kind of like fizzled out when it was kind of like, no, he can like hold this up himself. And he had like the tuxedo, was it? And it was just like, he almost became <laughs> like what, again, the rock is now in terms of being like yes he can hold up this like entire film and I it love just the becomes a film though. it's so good <laughs> but it's, it's not because of him it's not his fault but it's just the idea of like jackie chan in you know like insert blank crazy film summary <laughs> which just doesn't work I, I i guess as much and i guess that's where we've come away a bit more from like movie stars and and those kind of ideas but it's almost as well like it within that time period they were also doing films which like right we couldn't get these two before so let's do it now so do you guys remember i spy it was like eddie murphy and owen wilson and it was almost as if they were like oh well we couldn't have eddie murphy in that rush hour film so let's have him with the guy who was in shanghai nights and yeah that'll be the same thing i think that film had famke jansen in it as well Um, that's it yeah there's there's a scene where uh, Owen Wilson's like spying on her through glasses that lets him see behind his head. Oh, early two thousands, man, wild. Exactly. It's it's yeah, a lot of typical stuff to that time. So, uh, you know, do you guys have any other feelings of like just a, generally that kind of like buddy cop um, sort of genre or sort of like crime comedy sort of films? Aaron, do you have any other sort of experiences of any others that sort of make you like this kind of genre, or is this Rush Hour your only kind of experience of that kind of world? Oh. Yeah, of course, man. Like, Buddy Cop is like a, a tentpole of, uh, shall we, shall I say, like old Hollywood sort of, you know, the ethos, right? And as you said, like, it's very rare that a studio will want to put enough money behind um, a Buddy Cop to actually like put it in a cinema and, and, and see if it does well. Um, I think the most recent example of a, a really good Buddy Cop comedy that underperformed was something I'm sure all of you will have seen, which is um, Shane Black's The Nice Guys um just an absolute blast of a film so good ryan gosling actually emotes in that movie which is like oh my god this guy can act rather than just stand there like a a pretty piece of cardboard so it gets points uh for that black's like Um, the king of the buddy cop genre he's true yeah that film looks like a film i'll say i'll give it that credit as well i swear to god david (laughs) point of the day that film looks like a film (laughs) is it shot on film then it looks like a film 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, other than that, I mean, Rush, uh, like I said it before, um, Rush Hour 2 is kind of like a, a modern classic for me. You guys might, might hate me for it. You might not know what happens, but because you, you get those one-liners, um, I think the, the you know, the chemistry, quote unquote, between Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker have, has built up by that point. And I, we haven't mentioned yet that with the Rush Hour movies, like I find the the bloopers. Remember bloopers uh, <laughs> at the end of credits. Bloopers guys? are the best bits of the movies. Well, well, exactly. But I, I try I not to say it. Far. I'm not like it makes it a film. <laughs> it looks, it <laughs> makes it a film. It does. Um, I'd say like they're just as memorable as the movie itself. And maybe that is doing the actual movie a, a disservice. But you don't really get into this stuff for the for the plot. So, like I'll. Me, the Chris Tucker answering me... his phone in the middle of a take is quite funny. That is funny. I just also, remember that one where he's like, yeah, man, I'm making a film. I'm with Jackie Chan, and then Jackie Chan picks up the phone, and he's like, you're wasting all of our film. We're, we're trying to work here. But honestly, me and my friend, my best friend growing up, would quote all the time the bit where Guy at the, at the end of the second movie gets launched from a building. Chris Tucker looks down. Damn, he's not going to be in Rush Hour 3. And, and he was right. He wasn't in Rush Hour 3, Guy. <laughs> Aaron, you were saying there about like, you know, in terms of like how people perceive which ones are the best. Interestingly, I think on IMDb, the first Rush Hour has a uh, seven as its average score, seven out of 10. Rush Hour 2 actually has 6.6 and Rush Hour 3 has 6.2, which I was surprised about because again, like, like you guys, I remember growing up with these films and kind of seeing them on television and then being in the background, uh, maybe sitting down and watching them. But like Paul as well, it kind of turned into one film in my head. But I do always remember people saying Rush Hour 2 is like the go-to. That was people's favorite. So, yeah, I'm surprised that that one is rated lower. I'd also add, um, I've been going through this afternoon a lot of lists of what of what people considered like the top 10 or the top 25 buddy cop movies. And I think across the list I saw, Rush Hour 3 is not mentioned at all. Rush Hour itself is mentioned like once or twice. Rush Hour 2 gets like six different mentions across these lists. So... I would also I would also say that while the sort of with IMDb it's hard to say considering that I can't imagine that both films have the same amount of rev- reviews nor do they necessarily have the same people reviewing the films across every single one so I think an amalgamation site like that I think is sort of hard to get like the basis of and I think you have to sort of look at how it's evaluated in other ways this will sound silly now but I think the reason why Rush Hour 2 um tends to stick out is because Rush Hour and Rush Hour 3 are very much connected. Like, Sue Young appears in both, uh, played by different actors, whereas Rush Hour 2 is just... It's the thing we don't get in movies anymore because everything's serialised. It's the adventure of the week, you know, and it has a beginning, middle and end. And Do they go... It, the second one, they go to China, don't they? They go to Hong yes, Kong. they do. They're in yeah. Hong Kong, yeah. Because that was... that. Yeah, that was the thing. Is that It's like, he's out of his depth in LA. Then in the second one, it's like... He's in his element in Hong Kong, but Chris Tucker doesn't understand the toilets. And then third one is like, uh, we're Paris. in LA again. <laughs> oh yeah, they do go to Paris. Yeah, we gotta go to Paris. Neither of them are French. Let's just go to Paris. Be interesting where they went then if they do make you know that speculated fourth film, which is kind of turned into like bad boys in the sense of like you know will it happen? It's been talked about for years, etc. And I'm like, I'm not sure if. Again, like Jackie Chan, and as we've they mentioned, they wind up in North Korea and they've got to fight their way out. I was going to say it's either that they it's either that or they just do what Adam Sandler does and you just go, "Where do we want to go on holiday, guys?" I know we'll set the film here. I would watch a Rush Hour four if it, or you know, if they go to Russia and it's Russia out, 
They call it Russia, Russia Hour. Hour. <laughs> Russia know. Hour. Russia Hour sounds like one of those um, parodies of buddy cop movies you'd see at the end of 22 <laughs> Jump Street, where they have that montage cut. They could just like yes. slot it in there. It's like a cheeky wink and a nod to the fans. Like, yeah. I think that's why Rush Hour 2 stands out in some ways as well, though, because it's a bit like Too Fast, Too Furious. It's just the element of like, not just necessarily the number two, but it's something about it, which you're like, oh, Rush Hour. And it's just like, maybe Rush Hour 2 is almost like the Tokyo Drift of, you know, the buddy cop films in which people are like, you know what, you know, people give this film a hard time or I actually really enjoy that one. Or I actually have like really fond memories of it. And maybe it's something just about the Rush Hour 2, which just kind of sounds like Rush Hour 3 just doesn't roll off the tongue as much, I think. Obviously, we know it's called Rush Hour, but do we know what this film's working title was? Like, because Rush Hour doesn't really tell you anything about. Um, probably you know, it just was shit places as untitled Jackie Chan buddy cop film. Not to go harp on about David's. It's this is how you know it's a film point again. But it, <laughs> how you know it's a film is when they do mention the name of the film in the film. <laughs> I, do, I do get a kick out of that. You do uh, the, the Peter Griffin thing of like ah ah ah. ah yeah. <laughs> Paul, you said earlier that they kind of blend together for you in your head. So how has it changed now rewatching, you know, Rush Hour and sort of revisiting it? What what has sort of changed in your head about uh, sort of going back to it? No, I, I mean, I hate when people go, oh, you couldn't make it these days because it's like, well, no, it already got made. Obviously, you can't make it now. <laughs> but like rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is very 90s. Like I... Like, you know, and I, I let a lot of stuff in film slide where I'm like, ah, it was the 60s, you're, you were allowed to make those jokes. And I was watching it going, were we that casual about the N-word? Mm. Were we that? Because there's like a whole thing where it's dropped a lot. Like, is that not like, and it's like a 12 film as well. It's like, is it like rated 12? And you're like, I mean, it was okay when Chris Tucker was using it because appropriation, but obviously when it's the mistranslation and Jackie Chan starts saying it, that's when I that's when I went a bit, oh no. Also, because like he says it once, and you're like, oh, okay, that the, the joke is he doesn't know that that's offensive, but he says it like ten times, quite brazenly, yeah. And I was a bit like, good thing they we... left that out of the blooper reel. I must say. <laughs> and I was a bit like, are you allowed to use the, like, it's a slur though. It's like, you know, calling someone a bitch. Like, are you allowed to do that in a, in a film? All right. It's a 12 that's still aimed at families. Quite, you know, it, like, you know, it'd be, it'd be like there was a scene in like Shang-Chi where he started dropping the N word randomly. You're like, <laughs> That's how much things have changed, isn't it? Like the fact that, you know, there's the a poo thing in Simpsons that it took all the way until that moment to be like, actually, should, you know, a white person be voicing this character? And, you know, the fact that it took all this time for actors of that ethnicity to voice those characters and stuff is crazy when you look at it. It's like, oh, right, last started in like 2018. Like what? The Simpsons recast Dr. Hibbert in like 2020. It's, it's crazy to think about stuff like that and how long it took. And what I find even more crazy is that again when you think about it in terms of using the n-word etc you think okay that's something that yeah did take quite a while for that to be you know made clear that this is not acceptable but then even on with chris tucker the amount of times that he's like hey oriental chicken and stuff like that like he's calling people like chinese dishes and stuff like that and i'm like oh god this you know like so even like yeah, the Asian I mean, slurs and phrases it is have not equal opportunities well racist. <laughs> like the film, <laughs> although it's directed by a white man, which is even worse. <laughs> He's got this white man approving a script where it's like, yeah, all Asian people are called after, named after dishes, and all the people are called N words, and it's like. <laughs> 
But apart from that, was there anything else that sort of stood out to you in terms of the action or the comedy? Uh, well, just watching Jackie Chan do Jackie Chan stuff is 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 enjoyable. And, you know, I think when I was watching Shang-Chi and I was just watching it going, oh, man, I love Jackie Chan films. <laughs> like, what you know, like the bit where he's on the bus in Shang-Chi, I was like, oh, this is such a Jackie Chan fight scene. And I was so into it. I, I, I think he should get that CG that made it look like a Jackie Chan fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I would love Jackie Chan to be in Shang-Chi too. I want him to show up. But like, you know, it is it is that kind of thing of like, the the timing of the fights and you know they don't cut too much nowadays action is cut loads and i was just thinking like surprised you never got put in an expendables i mean i know that they have um jet lee so maybe they were like well, we've got one it's fine but yeah i always thought oh he'd have been he'd have been a great addition but yeah i just i miss watching his action stuff it 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 made me want to go back and rewatch the other the other stuff he'd done there is an insane bit, speaking about Jackie Chan's like flexibility and skill, in Rush Hour 2 where he slides under like a counter. Like yeah, a I remember counter. that. And I know this because, again, the blooper reels, they show like he does it like multiple times and one time he gets stuck. They're like, are you okay? He gets up, he's like, Jackie, always okay. And I'm like, <laughs> you're my hero, Jackie Chan. Him and Tom Cruise are in a, a mission to kill kill themselves in a film. But yeah, when you look at his recent stuff, it is just like, yeah, so many just random films and things that are like, you know, sort of straight to streaming and very like low budget kind of movies, almost in some ways as if like what Nick Cage is doing in, in some ways now. But but as you said, Paul, it, there's just so much fun to the type of action that he does and the style, like the, the vase scene is like a great example of that. And like, apparently that was reshot to add more Jackie Chan. So test screenings, people want, they were like, we want more Jackie Chan. So like they added more and that was something that they added. So it's just the, the whole, like the fact that he keeps flipping back and forth and you've established that he's like, oh, you know, I want to protect my heritage. But then it's just the wonderful moment in which it's just gets shot. And you're like, yep, that's what we've all been building to. It's just, it was a great comic moment, I thought. I will say, I think the film makes it very obvious that test screenings were just like, we want more Jackie Chan antics. Because the thing that sort of surprised me about the film, because uh, Transparency, I hadn't actually watched Rush Hour until like last night. I was one of those people who was able to live through the 90s and avoid it. Um, the thing that actually surprised me was that there aren't as many sort of bonding scenes between the two as you'd expect. I think the only major one we really get is the sort of dancing along to the like war. What is it good for? And that's the only the only scene I was aware of because it's used as a clip often on a Yu-Gi-Oh card review show I watch every now and then. Um, so it's only really that bonding moment, and then sort of things go to go to pot and then they sort of start going their separate ways and they come back together and there's the entire discussion on the plane which i was actually just surprised that they don't really spend much time bonding these guys as that yeah we actually make a good team which is also why i can imagine rush hour two being better because at that point you've established them as a good team and now you actually just see them just doing weird things and also doesn't that film have like a karaoke scene uh of chris tucker singing michael what? jackson <clears throat> yeah yeah Less said about. Well, I mean, he dances a, Michael Jackson uh, in this movie, doesn't he? It's like one of the first things you see him do when he shoots the C4. Oh, yeah. What an, what an odd scene. Yeah, I think they were really good friends in real life, Chris Tucker and MJ. Take that for what it's worth. So, Aaron, is your opinion then still that you prefer Rush Hour 2 from now revisiting Rush Hour? Has your opinion changed much? Is it still like gone up in your estimation? It's gone down? 
Well, it's interesting that Craig says that he's he's Rush Hour. He only watched it last night and he hasn't seen any of the others because it was actually watching the original Rush Hour yesterday that I was kind of like, hmm, okay, Rush Hour 2 does actually repeat a lot of the same beats as the first movie, <laughs> except it's set in Hong Kong. Right down to the fact that I think is it is the actor's Clifton Powell's character, which is um Chris Tucker's uh cousin. He goes into the back, there's a poker room. In the second movie, Don Cheadle plays an acquaintance of Chris Tucker and he has a poker game happening in the back of like a restaurant. So it's, it's just kind comedy of like... sequels. You just but... do the joke again, but in a different environment. But but better. Like I'm not much better, but I, you know, so to answer your question, David, I think Rush Hour 2 will always have a, a special place in my heart just because of how fun it is. And um, you've got Jackie Chan fighting with a laptop in that movie. And Have you ever seen Who Am I? I have, Jackie, yeah. Jackie Chan gets amnesia and he fights people while wearing clogs. He's wearing wooden <laughs> clogs that hurt his feet and he has to fight people in an alley. It's brilliant. Jackie Chan can fight anyone with anything. Oh, it's amazing. We're clear, yeah. That shows the diversity of Jackie Chan that we've talked about. Jackie Chan Adventures and the Samnesia film in the same in the same like ten minutes. <laughs> I always find it interesting that in Jackie Chan Adventures, Jackie Chan isn't voiced by Jackie Chan. He just appears at the end to answer like questions. <laughs> it's so random. And it's weird how I guess you didn't have Brendan Fraser in the Mummy cartoon, I assume either, but how again that kind of like 90s famous film was made into an animated series and now you've got brendan frazier's up for an oscar and everything like that so i don't know maybe jackie chan's time is coming maybe he's had the animated series he was a big thing in the 90s maybe he will have his oscar nominated performance maybe he'll see michelle yo getting hers and be like i should have taken that role <laughs> i think that was the foreigner like as crazy as that sounds because i don't remember him doing too much action no he does a bit film. more acting than action. yeah it's mainly hit close-ups of him almost crying from what i remember and you know what a boring he's, film though. He's not but that's actor. that's the difference with Michelle Yeo, I suppose, is the yeah, the difference of just like someone who does much martial arts and you know is an actor as well. Whereas, you know, I, again I do class him as just mainly a martial arts action man rather than an actor per se. Because yeah, like you said, he's never really doing like a performance. He is playing himself a lot a, a lot of the time. But but he does it so well and nobody else. He does do it well. That is the thing. He's so, like, like he... he's like the Charlie Chaplin of throwing hands. I always find it interesting because in his later uh, years, Jackie Chan's also done a lot of like voiceover work and animation, like Kung Fu Panda and the Lego Ninjago movie and stuff. And it reminds me of what's something that Antonio Banderas was saying uh, the other day when he was talking about Puss in Boots. Like when he originally tried breaking into Hollywood, everybody told him that his accent was the thing that would prevent him from getting roles that would hold him back. And then you flash forward years later and you become so recognizable that you're being cast and hired based on the sound of your voice and i imagine the same is true for jackie chan because you know whether the man can act or not you know uh, when it's jackie chan and when it isn't yeah because i think in this film apparently as well it was like where he's been dubbed over in the past brett ratner was like no let's not do that here because we just want to get that authenticity from the character and they'll you know like add to the yes sell, you want know, the, the realism the, exactly yeah but you know, the fact that we want the real Jackie Chan, which I guess people wanted because they wanted to see, you know, more uh, more scenes with him. But yeah, I, I, you know, I think that, again, like Paul, the, the kind of films are all like blurred together. And I think from what I remember of Rush Hour 2, I do remember it as a kind of more like standout, like here are the moments and maybe because it is set in Hong Kong. 
and I guess a sequel kind of always like ups the ante in that way. But here I could definitely see it as that kind of like beginning film that they're kind of like, ex- you know, establishing the the relationship and the between them. But when I saw watch the trailer in preparation, I was like, oh, you know, I, I did get that vibe of like, oh, there's going to be a lot of dated jokes here. There's going to be like a lot of like goofy humor. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the story is going to be like, you know, the the best thing about it or anything like that. But I was pleasantly surprised like then rewatching it. that I was like, okay, no, this does still have a level of kind of like seriousness or maturity to it granted yes those jokes are still very inappropriate but it wasn't kind of like in your face or anything like that I didn't find that they there was a level of restraint I felt with this film which again I think now if they were making it they would feel the need to kind of go overboard like something like Stuba in which they're like oh look how funny you know Dave Batista is look how funny you know Kamel Nanjani is it's very much like playing up those characters whereas here I felt there was a bit more reserved maybe because again Chris Tucker does a lot more like improvisation and stuff like that well I was just going to say I, I guess in my head I, even though I guess it kind of is just by nature of Chris Tucker being in it you would call it like an action comedy right if not a buddy cop it's it is going for humor I, I guess but and like it is it does come from that era where I, I made a, a list of like Chris Tucker one-liners from this movie that did make me have like a little <laughs> okay that was funny and um I, I won't quote all of them because not all of them are appropriate but there's something about like Chris Tucker tries there's a moment right at the end where he kills um the like main henchman character um I don't think he's a great one-liner but he, he sells it which is that wipe yourself off you're dead like and I was like that's that's the line I was hoping you'd mention. That's the only line that actually made me laugh from Chris Tucker, believe it or not. He won, really. <laughs> I, I, what can I say? I must be dead inside. Okay, I said I wasn't going to do this, but there's one where they visit the the informant in prison, and he's like, "Kiss my, kiss my ass," and then Chris Tucker says, "You know, Clive, it would take me all day to kiss your ass." Like, and just like little jabs <laughs> like that, and I was like, <laughs> "That's pretty good." It's the '90s where fat jokes were okay. <laughs> It was the era of Yo Mama jokes. It was like... We're dealing at that maturity level. (laughs) He definitely embraces that kind of like Yo Mama kind of like humor and just uh, the one that kind of I found was quite funny and I think that is in the trailers when they're negotiating and he's just like, I want $50 million. And he's just like, $50 million? Like, who who have you got there? And I think even in the bloopers, it shows like him saying that line over and yes, over again with several, different names several times. You want, want any fives with that? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, just, just... and the way he's even doing that, like 10s in 50s, yeah, okay, okay. So I think, again, his charisma and stuff does sell a lot of what is happening, which might have not necessarily been funny, just written down or in the script. And even just like the way when he's leaving like the LAPD office when he's like, yeah, I got this big job and everything like that. Um, I think the fact that, you know, obviously he's like very precious about his car. And then like when he comes back and Jackie Chan, like the steering wheel's gone, he's like, and when he goes to the the house, when he's inside the pickup truck, that made me laugh as well. It's just when he's kind of like, yeah, you know, you're cool, man. Thanks for dropping me off here, etc. It was just something about that kind of like the buddy cop element there, I suppose, of him being like the sort of frustrated cop who's like angry and annoyed at his partner. With those sort of things, crime comedies or crime action films, it's usually, the plot's usually just a thin hanger to hang jokes on. So it's like, the plot, so it's always like uh, someone got abducted by bad guys. It doesn't matter. What what matters is we got these two guys, and one of them's really good at beating people up, and the other one's really good at shouting 
where can we put them where one can punch and one can shout? A prison. All right, we'll put them in a prison. Where else? A bar. All right, put them in a bar. Where else? Uh, an apartment building. You know, it's it's that kind of thing of like, you know, the plot doesn't matter half as much as we've got these two guys. One's good at this, one's good at that. I will say one thing that this this first movie I sort of appreciate. We've talked a lot about how not every joke's aged well, a couple of things feel dated. But I think one thing I did give it credit for was Elizabeth Pena's character, who I completely forgot about, which was Chris Tucker's um sort of like confidant in in the police department. Like there you very much get the sense that it's a that they respect each other, it's fully platonic, that he's not constantly trying to hit on her or whatever. And I really enjoyed that scene. He's not constantly trying to hit on her. <laughs> Every interaction they have, he's obsessed with the idea that she, like, she's into him and always sort of brings that up. Well, but I feel that, to be fair, no, I feel that that was on a level of like he knew she wanted to be his partner. I, I, I agree. I don't think that there was always this kind of like, kind of how he asked her sexual what underwear element she was wearing <laughs> yeah to make well, sure that, that she was comfortable he's a caring man he's it's just a very 90s thing is but, but she holds her own like i guess that's the point I'm making. like she brushes him off and i will you know. say it is impressive that you've got a franchise three movies you know they're big budget studio things that are fronted by a man you know an asian man who does not speak english well and a black man like you know it, it in a, in a way, it, you would think that they would have been like, "All right, you can have Jackie Chan, but he needs to be paired up with Jim Carrey." Yeah, or even the fact that that actress we're talking about, like, you know, is she like Hispanic? Or, yeah, so you, just the you fact that they weren't like chucking a white woman or something like that. But then you've got the most English man uh, in the world, Tom Wilkinson, being you know the textbook stereotypical. I'm going to double cross you. It's painful. <laughs> That's fine. Though. He's a start. villain. It's fine. <laughs> That's yeah, English equals bad guy. You can, you can see him counting uh, how much money he's making every minute he's on screen. He's but like, it, I'm, going, I'm going to use this money to go back to England and do theatre. I'm going, look at all this money. I can afford to do Shakespeare again. But I guess like, I kind of did respect again that they made it believable and they were like, oh, this is, you know, like synced up with the passing over of like Hong Kong in which like, you know, Britain like left, you know, and give up ownership of that city, etc. So I was like, OK, that kind of makes sense. So they have got some. It is you know, weird that there's a bit of a history it. lesson in the middle of your action comedy that halfway through they have to go, by the way. So there was this whole thing where, where the United Kingdom owned Hong Kong. And then they had to, they passed back jurisdiction to China, but the English are still quite upset about it. And China aren't so keen on the English because of it. Anyway, back to the shtick. It's just a bit random. It's like, it's a bit like, um, you know, after the Soviet Union fell and every film was like, we can't make Russia the bad guys anymore. And they're like, disgruntled ex-Soviet general? Yeah, all right, that, yeah. that works, yeah. Little did we know we only had to wait 30 more years before <laughs> exactly. the Russians could be the bad guys again. It's kind of like the Indiana Jones predicament, wasn't it? That they were kind of like, oh, well, we can't do the Nazis again because that isn't time like appropriate. It's like, oh, well, we can do like this Russian woman played by Kate Blanchett. And it's almost as if like now they were making this new one. They were like, oh, how do we like avoid that awkwardness? Oh, we'll just put in some time travel and get the Nazis back in from what this that film seems like it's going to be. It is a bit weird. I still find it a bit weird that there's, that, yeah, there's a whole, there's this whole like, political historical thing bubbling under the surface of what is essentially an excuse to watch a guy 
punch other guys. Like it'd be it'd be a bit like if you know your your main villain was still upset about you know the partition in India. Like it'd be like it's a comedy, guys. I'm also a bit confused as to exactly why it was that his personal collection had to be given over because uh because of the hand uh the handover. Is it just is it just because he was I don't even know what you would call it, a consort, I guess. Um and he basically so, just so, co- Yeah, was it was it, it it was like technically property of China that Yeah. You know, it's kind it's kind taken. of like the whole thing of like what's that like diamond that like India like wants back from like the royal family and stuff like that. It's like that kind yeah, of thing. Pry it from their cold dead hair. <laughs> That's rush hour four, where where the villain <laughs> is is the royal family upset about having to give India back its jewels. But but even when you look aside from just the that kind of like storyline and the kind of you know Jackie Chan martial arts, you know it's surprising when you look again compared to stuff now that like the the action stuff and like even like the the use of like guns and explosions as we said earlier is quite impactful. Like the gunshots in this, I was like, a gun's really changed since I like last watched like an action film or like in modern action films that the silencers just that more effective because they were loud at certain points and it's just like the fact that like that that one villain was like yeah i'm just gonna sh- fire a machine gun everywhere just everywhere i go you know just like take them all down it was just it was crazy how much again that this film wasn't just like yeah we well, got jackie chan martial arts funniness and then we'll just have chris tucker like rolling around and and falling over things like they were like no this is going to be like a kind of like gunfight film as well which i was surprised at them we'll have explosions we'll have cars blowing up we'll have motorbike chases and stuff like that to the point that there's like a final gun showdown between Chris Tucker and the the you know main henchman at the end, where they're, they they both threaten to put their guns down, but they both have the same idea. But Chris Tucker's you know got got one up over on him. And he, I, you know, find, I found all of that a bit a, a bit. But I I was a bit like I would just rather you know Jackie Chan fighting people basically what i want is a film in which jackie chan plays like the night watchman in a b and q and people break into the b and q and have you not seen the first equalizer movie because you're that's that's pretty much what you're describing yeah but it should have been jackie chan and he gets his foot like stuck in a bucket and he kicks the bucket and then gets a guy like that would have been so much better i still thought there was like some well set up like action moments though even like when jackie chan was like falling off the beam at the end and like the fact they used the banner and everything like that i was like it made for some like exciting like maybe not exciting but like compelling kind of like action in which you were like oh yeah that looks like somebody is actually falling down into that especially when the villain does die i was like that was a pretty cool death as well when he like you're like boom yeah ooh, okay i felt the impact for me that was sort of undercut because they were trying to be too funny with it um because when when you have chris tucker going uh don't worry i'm just gonna go call the ambulance and they'll come deal with you in an hour and he's there like, no, I don't have time to do that. I'm just joking with you. Like that just sort of killed any sort of tension for me. So I was just like, we we obviously know he's going to be fine. Even Chris Tucker isn't even like distraught about this. I, I don't know why I care. It did seem like they had to restrain Chris Tucker at that moment. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this crazy thing. No, no, we don't want that thing yet at the moment. He's like, no, but I'm Chris Tucker. I have to be Chris Tucker mode. So it's like sometimes you did want to have him rein it in a bit. Okay, take those video cassettes for a wind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. This week I've asked David if he can take us through uh, a little bit of the behind the scenes of this film as well as some interesting trivia. So, David, what do you have for us? Okay, so yeah, there's quite a 
slew of uh, interesting sort of facts and trivia behind this one. So while not literally a remake of Red Heat from 1988, um, a lot of people have acknowledged the fact that both movies are tough foreign policemen who go to the United States and partner up with cocky American policemen to take on a crime lord from the tough foreign policeman's country. Both fit into the subgenre of mismatched body, uh, buddy cop movies such as 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, Alien Nation, Dead Heat and Black Rain, among others. So earlier we were talking about whether this was originally titled something else or like based on something. So I guess, you know, obviously a lot of those are kind of inspirations. Uh, when you look at uh, Chris Tucker, we've also mentioned there about his comic style and the fact that whether he was as big a comic name as a lot of other actors in Hollywood at that moment. So it was said that Chris Tucker improvised much of his dialogue as he normally does in his movies. According to director Brett Ratner, during the scene at Grauman's with Detective Carter bribes Stucky for information, there was so much improvisation between Tucker and John Hawkes that they almost did not think they could edit together as a coherent conversation. Uh, there are still continuity errors in the dialogue for that reason. Uh, so then when you look at again on the topic of casting. Originally, Martin Lawrence apparently was the original choice for Carter. Uh, Eddie Murphy was also apparently offered the role, but he turned it down to make Holy Man in 1998. Instead, uh, David Chappelle, Will Smith and Tupac Shakur were all considered for the role of Carter as well. So again, whether these would have gone down a better route or not, but it's funny again that we have all these other movie stars, which were big like comic names at that time as well. When you then look at some of the more kind of realistic looks at some of the action, I guess. This one I found interesting, especially Aaron, because you said about the C4 earlier. Uh, apparently, what people have analyzed from this is when Carter shoots Clive's car, causing the C4 in the trunk to explode in a large fireball. In reality, C4 is an extremely stable but immensely powerful high-speed explosive, meaning that not only would it not be detonated when struck by a bullet, it also would not result in a fireball as seen in the film. Were the large amount of C4 in the trunk to explode at once, it would not only completely destroy the car, but the shockwave alone would likely result in Clive's death and likely knock Carter off his feet at the very least. So I thought that was quite interesting, which people are often talking about, you know, people jumping away from fireballs and would, you know, that actually blow blow up when you shoot it etc which has been made a joke in things like 21 jump street uh, and then the final one uh, which i noted which is interesting we were talking about imdb earlier and this i did not know about before but apparently this film inspired the creation of the website rotten tomatoes site founder sen Dyong is a big jackie chan fan and built the website to collect reviews for all of chan's hong kong movies as they were being released in the united states he coded the site in two weeks putting it up shortly before the release of this film rotten tomatoes is now one of the most notable sources for movie reviews and its tomato meter rating is used to judge a film's success and used in advertising and awards promotion but apparently rush hour was like the first or like big release to go on there and it started as a jackie chan fan base essentially so yep that is vhs corner for this week those are the facts what are your guys' reactions and thoughts? Any ones that specifically stand out? So Russia was to blame for Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I don't know if Paul looks happy or angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to well, Jackie Chan's house with a crowbar. It's really, it's really weird because it's put me in a bit of a predicament. And when we get to the movie vault, you'll understand why. But it's effectively changed the way in which internet reviewing of films necessarily occurs. 
You'd think it would be for something a bit grander. <laughs> it's weird back. what films are like. You know, like when you look at you're like uh, what you know something major happens. What film caused it? And you're like that film. Yeah, What's the reason. What film you know, caused the death of HD DVD? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you know, when you find out like the last film released on VHS was a history of violence, and you're like, really? What a random film to be the last VHS ever produced. Like, yeah, just being like, oh, Rush Hour is the reason why Rotten Tomatoes exists. You're like, isn't it it's a case of like it had to be one film? Like, if not Rush Hour, it probably would have been Jackie Chan's next American-made movie. Like, yeah, I don't you, know. It's just weird that that's what resulted in it. You know, it's just it's weird that it's like. But I guess it makes sense in the fact that he was making a Jackie Chan like database of all his films and rating them like as to how good they were, and it was like, oh, okay, this coincidentally happens to be the next film on the list, and I guess then it's like, oh, okay, this is actually an American film compared to all the others, and let's just start doing every other American film. <laughs> but it's also just weird to think that it's also it was also dedicated specifically to Jackie Chan, which begs the question, why Rotten Tomatoes? Because David and I obviously. When, when coming up with the name for this podcast, we talked about Rotten Tomatoes insofar as, oh, the inspiration, oh, it needs to be something that's, like, not directly connected to, uh, to like, films per se, but something that people could be, like, recognisable, whatnot. So now that I'm trying to think, what is the connection between Jackie Chan and, like, tomatoes? Is there, like, a film where he's, like, throwing tomatoes at somebody or, like, deflecting them? I assume that the tomato, like, the whole rotten tomatoes thing is that if it's, you know, like, if it's bad, you throw tomatoes. Yeah, rotten or fresh. Like, yeah. But I'm like, but you wouldn't call your Jackie Chan database, like, unless you hate Jackie, does he hate Jackie Chan? He's like, who's in crap films? Rotten tomatoes. I want to throw, I want to know how many films he's made so I can pelt him with tomatoes. It's, you know, it's a bit like, I always think Michelin stars. I'm like, why are you yeah. trusting a tire company to tell you what food the, is good? The Guinness World Record. Yeah, it, it's a disgusting drink, old men drink. What does it matter how many toenails someone has? Like, it's... it's Ten, just, I hope. Well, it's like, but yeah, it's like the Michelin star thing where it's like, it's a tire company. I don't trust the tire company to tell me what tastes good. Are you saying the Rotten Tomatoes is someday going to be like the HP Rotten Tomatoes or like the HP Sauce Fresh Tomatoes or something like that? It's so bizarre. It's that that is that is baffling to me. <laughs> I did not know that, and now now it just makes it makes Rotten Tomatoes make even less sense than it did before. <laughs> no. Nobody tell Jackie Chan this uh, fact, otherwise he'll be, you know, coming after Rotten Tomatoes for all the royalty ad money that he's probably owed. How many? Well, also, you must think then it's going to suck if Jackie Chan films are rotten. I guess, though, but if he just kind of didn't want, if he didn't himself think to himself, I want to like, if he just wanted to collect reviews together and measure like bad against good, like similar if you had like a Godzilla fan base that you would be like, okay, I love these movies, but I understand that, like, a lot of them are panned and, like, terrible. So let's actually see the ratio as to, like, how bad they're received. Because if he's maybe yes, going it does, off it does sound like what he wanted was IMDb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what he wanted. Well, clearly, what, what this guy was looking for was a, was a filmography. He wanted a Wikipedia page of movies Jackie Chan had made. He's created a monster. He's like, I'm sorry, it just went out of control. Uh, Aaron, was there any other facts there that sort of stood out to you as uh, somebody who's been a fan of uh, the Rush Hour films? Um, it's weird isn't it because i can't picture and i suppose this is the mark of like a great performance uh, ultimately i can't picture anybody else in the role of detective james carter uh, other than chris tucker so to hear that 
I mean, you've got the usual suspect, well, the people that I would consider, you know, standard at that time uh, for this type of role. Uh, Will Smith, Eddie Murphy, um, Dave Chappelle, I think you said as well. Was that right? Chappelle David? makes sense. I could see mm-hmm. Chappelle doing. Yeah. But then Tupac Shakur. Shakur. (laughs) Yeah. That is the weirdest casting, like potential casting I've heard since. Oh, who was it that James Cameron considered for the Terminator? Was it OJ Simpson? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Didn't cast him because he thought OJ seemed too nice. Yeah. OJ would never uh, be capable of murder. OJ would kill somebody in cold blood. And it's the idea that, you know, bad boys had already come out so that they were like, yeah, Martin Lawrence is like, but he's already done this you know so again and i i assume and will smith yeah it would have been a lot yeah. a lot more angry at jackie chan which probably wouldn't have come across as well either as well that this like guy has come over from china and you just got angry martin lawrence being like why the hell am i with this guy you know he was like, whoa okay you know the the sort of racial yeah, jokes we wouldn't, wouldn't have the, gone the, well the, chi- the chinese jokes wouldn't have come across as good like chris tucker makes them seem kind of good natured when you know he's like it's like, how are you doing, Kung Pao Chicken? It's like, all right, that it seems it's racist, but it's kind of friendly racist. Whereas, be, you know, Martin to be fair, like, how are you doing, Kung Pao Chicken? It's like, whoa. Yeah, to be fair, any any person with such a high-pitched voice who's just going, oh, you're just making as many jokes as you can because you want to avoid ridicule. Yeah, fair enough. Like, you, you are effectively harmless because, let's face it, we can take you. Martin Lawrence is not the case. No, it's like Chris Rock has the same thing as well. You know, he's, you know, he walking around and he does that kind of shtick. You'd be like, it's good natured. It's a bit offensive, but it's okay. But yeah, Will Smith walking around dropping racial slurs. You'd be like, whoa, they're just Asian, and man. Again, like, Eddie Murphy, it makes sense because, you know, he was in so many comedies and stuff like that. And that's why I felt like reading it. I was just like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's what they wanted in that I Spy film, which again, I know not many people remember. We want 48 but- hours. But with Jackie Chan instead of Nick Nolte. Yeah, I think I think they had the best balance in the end. I think that Eddie Murphy might have been a bit too comedic. You know, I think the Martin Lawrence, as we said, might have been a bit too harsh. You know, so I think that even though Chris Tucker hasn't really done all that much since, and you know, he tends to go off the handle a bit with his kind of improvisation. I think that, as we've said, with the bloopers and other moments in the film, it does kind of work in its in its favor. So, uh, right, well, we'll wrap up now and decide if Rush Hour will make it into our movie vault. So uh, for anyone who uh, doesn't know, then uh, this is our time capsule of films, good and sometimes bad, that should be remembered for someone to potentially dig up in the future. Maybe it deserves its fame, maybe it's been forgotten, or maybe it's great but just doesn't quite fit the bill. So should Rush Hour gain the honour of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? Uh, mm, let's go to Aaron first, just because obviously he's the one maybe who has the most links to to this franchise. <laughs> Can I just say I agreed to appear on this podcast before I knew that Rush Hour is going to be the movie, so it's an incredible happenstance that I'm talking about it. So I, I I might surprise people here and say that I mean the whole Rotten Tomatoes thing adds a new sort of like notch to this bed post or whatever because it's it's a you know, important part of culture. It turns out is 1998's Rush Hour. But for me, I think everything this movie does, Rush Hour 2 does better, more succinctly, and it has, you know, uh, it's a a more interesting story for one and a better relationship between the two. So I'd say you could probably do without Rush Hour. There are probably better buddy cop comedies on the whole. So for me, I'd probably leave it out of the vault. 
And I'm pretty sure Craig is going to sort of say the same thing or agree in the sense that, like, as we've often talked about the outside stuff, we try to sort of sometimes negate, like, yes, a film might have been like, oh, my God, this inspired, like, an entire generation of uh, fans of this type of genre or medium. But the Rotten Tomatoes thing, again, it's like that you don't experience that within the film. Like, that's just an exterior thing. So I think when we're looking at it as, like, a singular experience... I think that you are right that there is an element of like, oh, they seem to be just like getting used to this chemistry. There definitely seems to be an element of like things that work because it's a buddy cop comedy, but maybe not the best buddy cop comedy. Uh, Craig, what's your thoughts? You did a very good job at actually explaining what I could have easily done so myself. So thank you, David. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I don't think this film should go in purely because... So, I mean, from a film from a film viewing experience, obviously I haven't had like a sense of nostalgia with this film. I'm very much watching this from a different time, but nothing about this film wowed me in a sort of wow, this is a very, very good example of something. I thought I thought a lot of the film I, I enjoyed the action. I thought the action was like pretty good, but is it the most spectacular sort of action I've seen from this sort of genre? No, it's not. Um like the character dynamics i've made it very clear that i as much as given the alternatives probably the most probably the most appropriate i wasn't that wowed by chris tucker i wasn't that enamored by the performance um i found that they didn't actually do as much of the sort of dynamic stuff with buddy cops that i actually expect um and also just then when sort of going to outside anyone i sort of Anyone who's ever mentioned Rush Hour to me has always mentioned Rush Hour 2. So I think willing to give that film a chance at some point in the future, but because culturally it seems that that was the film that seemed to be more like pushing for these things, at which point I would probably say Rush Hour, sorry, no. I think even Ed mentioned, like may have mentioned it at one point, which is like people people note the sequel more, but he just happened to watch... Uh, rush hour and just that's why he wanted to suggest it for us to watch paul you're gonna throw us a curveball and uh, be like actually <laughs> everything i no, said was- i'm not in fact i thought i i thought it was i thought it was going to be me and craig versus you two on that's what i was i was gearing up for hey it's two against two now because i don't think it should be in the vault either but um I, I'm, I'm surprised uh that aaron wasn't on board for the vault i it's fine. It's. I remember finding it funnier than I actually found it on a rewatch, and I think, I think, it's okay. It there are Jackie Chan films I prefer. Chris Tucker's okay. You know there are bits in it I like, and you know it's watchable. It's it's not like it's a difficult film to sit through. Like if I'm flicking through the TV, there's nothing else on. I see Rush Hour starting. I'll be like, all right, I'll give it. A, watch it but i i don't if if it got wiped from the you know if this vault is all that's left of film after the apocalypse i don't think i don't think uh rush hour is a great loss to cinema frankly <laughs> i think it's fine i think it's also quite telling that a large amount of this podcast which is meant to be talking about rush hour we've been going on massive tangents about small thing that is in rush hour and then f- feed off into loads of other things which aren't rush hour <laughs> it's just fine it's fine yeah, and i think you're right in the sense that, like i think it's a good kind of like 
Sunday movie kind of like turn on in the background. There's not many, you know, I'm usually somebody who's like, no, you can't, you know, you need to sit down and watch the film. Like, I don't want to watch a film halfway through. I don't want adverts like breaking something up. But if it's something like this, then I'm like, okay, I don't care as much because again, it's not the most like revolutionary thing ever. If it introduces people to, to you know, martial arts as it did me as a kid, I remember then just being into Jackie Chan martial arts movies. If somebody watches it, you know, that's probably the, it's saving grace is that, you know, someone will watch it and be like, oh, that's really cool. And then they discover, you know, the Hong Kong stuff he did before he came and then they discover John Woo and then they discover, you know, Chow Yun Fat and stuff like that and Michelle Yeoh. Then that's a good thing. But the film itself is... So to summarize uh, Paul's point, if Rush Hour can introduce people to Rush Hour 2... bulletproof monk so yeah i think well it won't go in on the premise of like well potentially people will watch number two if they watch this so i think uh this week unfortunately just watch number two just watch number look he's from hong kong he's from la boom that's all you need to know he's good at punching and he's good at shouting oh what was the plot of the first one he's good at shouting yeah the one the one that's from la the Chris Tucker, he's good at shouting. The Jackie Chan, he he doesn't talk. He just wants to be your friend. He's good. He's but good everyone at fighting. Wants to... <laughs> it's going to come in more handy when you're facing endless uh, amount of bad guys. Can I just say when Paul, when Paul just said uh, he's from Hong Kong, he's from LA. For some reason, I imagined it as one of the lyrics to Avril Lavigne's "Skater yeah. Boy." He's from Hong Kong. He's from LA. <laughs> what more, what can, more can, I can I say? <laughs> He's from Hong Kong. What more can we say? Yeah. He was a martial arts. Da, 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 da. Well, uh, yeah. So Rush Hour did not make it into the movie vault this week. Do you agree? Let us know at home. Should Rush Hour 2 go in in the future? Uh, we want to know. Yes. <laughs> We're in the end game now. Okay. End game time. This is a game that I lovingly call Buddy Buddy Good Time, hashtag Allahan and Grimshaw. So one of the things that I love about buddy cop films is that I always love the dynamic of purely just saying the names of the two cops. It's always good when you have that strong partnership. So in this case, uh, you have uh, Lee and Carter. I always love it when you merge the surnames of those cops together. So what I've done is I've taken a series of of buddy cop films and i've renamed them as if they were just going to be like the cops the cop's name and the cop's name so uh just to give a couple of examples david if i were to give you the names mills and somerset that film is seven seven yeah exactly and you even have films utilizing this as well you have like the fast and the furious having their hobbs and shaw you know just the merging of those names um so basically i just want to see how well you can identify what films are by the the two names of their cops sound good okay first things first we're going to have a little tease for what it is you'll be playing for as usual you'll have the ability if you win the end game to choose which of the various films you'll be presented with granted you won't know exactly which film it is you'll only know a little hint about it we'll be discussing in the next episode so david give us a little tease about what your film would be so in the past, I think the connect sometimes when we've had films close to each other in terms of release, I think we've had a film that was literally released like the next year to the last one. I've actually gone for a film in the same year. So this is from 1998 and I'm continuing the kind of theme of duos. But here, instead of going with 
a buddy cop duo. This is kind of like master and apprentice, like the teacher and the student. And also I'm going along the lines of, you know, combat. So where's this hand martial arts? Again, this was a 1998 film, which used a lot of like choreography and fighting. And yeah, I think it'd just be a very fun time to talk about this film. And it's very relevant because of another film that's out recently as well. Interesting perspective from David. Um, I'm now trying to get Star Wars sequels out of my head because that was obviously not no, the same. Yes. 1998. <laughs> Interesting. Paul, tell us, tease us about what film you'd like to put forward. Okay, so I, I have also gone on the theme of double act type things. Um, not Buddy Cop, but my one is from 1988. And it's it's again pitting two people with different kind of personas on screen together, and you know using using that kind of juxtaposition for for laughs. Okay, interesting. So another double act, but very much in a combative sense. And finally, Aaron, what would you like to put forward? Well, I think it's third time lucky because I've also gone for the odd couple sort of angle. My movie's from 1993, so a couple of years before the movie discussed. It's not so much a comedy, but it does feature two 90s acting titans duking it out um, against one another. Very different personalities off screen, very different personalities on screen. Interesting. So what we have is an interesting assortment of, dub- uh, of double uh, acts, uh, all spaced five years apart, pretty much. Interesting. So, you can have if so the winner of the end game, you can have any one of those three choices. So it doesn't have to be the film you put forward necessarily. Uh, it is very much up to you. But first, you have to win the end game to win that privilege. So the way this will happen is I'm going to read out the two names, and then I want you to sort of. Uh, buzz in. Now, the way your buzz will work is I want you to say, buddy. So we'll just do a quick experiment for this. So, uh, Paul, your buzzer would be... Buddy! And Aaron? Buddy. Cool. I should be able to differentiate. David will be sort of somewhat like VR check um, in the event of a tie. Okay, so this will be relatively quick fire. So, all right. Are you ready? Yep. Let's do it. Let's do this. So your first pairing is Ashburn and Mullins. Hmm. Ashburn and Mullins. Uh, buddy, 48 oh. hours? Is it 48 hours? It is incorrect. It is not 48 hours. That was a good guess. Uh, any guesses from you, Aaron? I'll say The Last Boy Scout. I don't know. Is it The Last Boy Scouts? Nope, it is not. That the answer is the heat. The heat. Oh, okay. the Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy film. Didn't see it. <laughs> a a okay. classic of the genre, if I do say so myself. Yeah. And with that, I'd like to wave goodbye to female representation <laughs> for the remainder of this round. <laughs> <laughs> An unfortunate side effect of the buddy cop genre we have not discussed. All right, next up. Butterman and Angel. Oh, buddy. Uh, buddy. Ooh, David. I uh, think Aaron might have just got in there. Yeah, I think I heard Paul say ooh first, but then slightly Aaron said buddy. 
Well, as a fellow West Countryman, I'll say yeah. Hot Fuzz, the best of the Cornetto trilogy. David, do you know the answer? Uh, I don't 100% actually, but... I mean, it's... Ob- yes, it is obviously the correct answer. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to press this, but I was like, I, was I don't know if that's le- correct. But- I was not going to lead you up into like, you know the answer, not that. Right. Yes, it is Hot Fuzz. So that is one point to Aaron. I'm guessing that's what you're going to go for as well, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Sergeant Nicholas Angel. All right, next up. Burnett and Lowry. Oh, buddy. Paul. Bad boys. Yes, that is bad boys. Mac Lowry. That's the only one I knew. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, next up. Gamble and Hoyts. Ooh. Hoyts seems like it should be a giveaway. Oh, uh, buddy. Aaron? Is it? Um, is it the other guys? Is it the other guys? Yes, indeed, it is. Oh man, I, I love mean, that film. Embarrassed, I didn't get that one. Okay, next up, J and K. No, buddy. buddy. That's Paul. That's definitely Paul. That's Men in Black. That is indeed Men in Black. Wonderful. Next up, Miller and Lord. Aren't those the people that made Han Solo and they got kicked off? <laughs> that might be an indicator to what I'm thinking, though, in terms of like what they've been involved in. I, I think well, it has to be a movie, right? These are characters' names in movies, yes. That's why David, like, suggesting going down the filmmaker route, I was like, maybe don't oh. them <laughs> David. That's why I thought. I'll say... Buddy, I'll say 21 Jump Street, but I think it's wrong. I don't know. You are correct. It is 21 Jump Street. Oh, well, I, I, that's what my thinking was as well. So I was... <laughs> okay. Did Lord and Miller have anything to do? Yeah, they were. It's I think they were topic. either writers or producers on it. Next one. And I, I definitely recommend being quick off the mark for this one. Turner and Hooch. Buddy, Turner oh. and Hooch. Yeah, that's it's Turner and Hooch. <laughs> I froze. Yeah, I will say some of these will just be the names of the films actually set because it's a good naming dynamic. Some films just went for it. Next up, Riggs and Myrtle. Buddy. That was, oh, David. I know, that was very close. Because I think it was the similar situation. I heard the ooh and then the buddy. I think right it was Aaron in terms I heard him say the name buddy first. Okay, Aaron. Can you say the names again one more time? Ooh. Are you uh, joking? <laughs> no. <laughs> lethal Weapon, then. It is. Yeah, it's Lethal Weapon. I was like, he did say what yeah. I thought he said, right? <laughs> did yeah. I imagine that? Next up. Hops and Wild. Buddy. Paul. Zootropolis slash Zootopia, whatever it is. I will accept either of those answers. That is correct. And I slightly lied when I said goodbye to... Uh, oh, yeah. A goodbye yeah. to all female representation. Yeah. I guess what I meant in terms of... Um, Humans. Both both pairings. Being, oh, being female, yeah. Yeah. I can now happily say goodbye to all <laughs> female representation in the rest of this quiz. All right, next up. Foley and Rosewood. Buddy. Aaron? Um, Beverly Hills Cop. Correct answer. Beverly Hills Cop. The famous Axel Foley. Eddie Murphy. Okay, next up. Tango and Cash. Buddy. That was Aaron. Oh, what could it be? Tango and Cash. Yep, it's Tango and Cash. Okay. 
Two left, so everything to play for. Doyle and Russo. Buddy. Paul. Are they the cops in the mask? I think you're right. That is incorrect, unfortunately. Doyle? Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking. Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, I have no idea. Um, point break. Is it point break? It is not point break. It's the French connection. Oh, oh never thought... seen it. Popeye Doyle. Oh man, that's bad. Okay, the final question. We have Lockhart and Van Shrike. Oh, um, buddy. Aaron? Was it is it that second name sounds like futuristic, so I'll go for that Valerian City of a Thousand Planets or whatever it was called. Probably not that. Is it that incredibly vague title? No, it is not. <laughs> Lockhart Van Shrike. Yeah. Good name for a rock band, that. Yeah. Oh, if this is actually why I'm thinking it is, I'm like, oh, God, this is coming. <laughs> uh, buddy, is it Red Heat? Is it Red Heat? Nope, not Red Heat. David, what do you think it is? Is it Bright? Is it Bright? No, yeah. it is not. It's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, of course. Shane Black. Yeah. Okay, so that is the end of the round. So very tight, but in the end. Uh, Paul, you had four, but slightly in the lead. And the winner, we have Aaron with six. Congratulations. Thank you. So how do you feel your first end game win? Oh, well, I'd like to thank, obviously, everybody who got me here. <laughs> uh, my parents for birthing me. Uh, everything that led yeah, to this gonna moment. Are you going to do a Michelle really. Yeoh most at the of Golden all, Globes where she starts to get played off? Like, no. Nope. I'm going to do a Christopher Judge at the Game Awards uh, last year, which I believe set the record for longest speeches. Um, no. Thanks to James Carter and Chief Inspector Lee. There you go. <laughs> Wonderful. So now, as we said, you have the choice of the three films in front of you of which is discussed in the next episode. So would you like David's film from 1998? Would you like Paul's film from 1988? Or are you going to go with your choice from 1993? Oh, this is tough. I feel guilty if I pick my own movie. Um... And you're a better man than me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will be. I may, I may never win the end game challenge again if indeed I do appear again. So I will pick my one. Cool. I'll give you the tagline, shall I? And I'll let you guys guess. You'll know instantly what it is. The 21st century's most dangerous cop. The 21st century's most ruthless criminal. Wait. Simon <laughs> says oh, the answer is Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh no, no. Demolition Man. Demolition Man. Of course it is. Time travel, baby. Uh, See, I, I, I stupidly was going to say face off for some reason, but <laughs> when you described it, I thought it was heat. When you originally described the movie, I was like, heat. Well, I almost like threw the time travel element in there, but I thought that would be too obvious. No, but still, it's an interesting choice. I think it's very much taking us down an interesting line that we haven't really explored yet in the sort of timeline of this show so david tell us where can we watch demolition man uh so at the moment rent it on uh places like apple tv chili amazon those kind of usual places um or of course as we uh, always say as well there is physical media if you do have a copy of the film or you're able to find it anywhere as well uh we always like to support 
watching on DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, however way you can watch it. Time travel. Maybe you can actually time travel and watch it in the cinema. At the end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. Criminals will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. Aggression and deviant behavior will be totally eliminated. He's a criminal the likes of which you have never seen. In a bad time, he was the worst. I'm gonna love running this place. But in the year 2032... This morning, Simon Phoenix escaped from this cryo facility. We are, quite frankly, not equipped to deal with the situation. Amidst a world of peace and calm... We're police officers. We're not trained for this kind of violence. How was the fiendish Simon Phoenix apprehended back in the 20th? In the end, it took just one man. John Spartan. You mean the demolition man? The conditions of your parole are full reinstatement into the SAPD and immediate assignment to the apprehension of Simon Phoenix. Two mortal enemies. Just dropped in to say hi! From another time. Pass is over, John! Time for something new and improved! Oh, hell. Will be unleashed on a future that isn't big enough for the both of them. Sylvester Stallone. Wesley Snipes. Demolition Man. Awesome. Well, yeah, this isn't one I've seen, but I'm aware of it. So I think that, yeah, that's going to be a fun one to like, go through. And like I said, it's cool that, yeah, we've got like a kind of science fiction film, which we haven't had like in quite a while as well. Paul, just so we know if it uh, you do get a chance to have your film again in the future, we usually keep them for like a sort of stack of films that we might randomly choose uh, when we have like big challenge episodes. So that's how Seven was chosen to start off the year. What was your choice? Uh, my, my choice was Twins. Ah. with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. And another one that people are like, is there going to be a sequel and all this kind of stuff? But it is a great premise of just being like those two guys next to each other. It's just, it's, it sells itself. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And yeah, we had a uh, great end game there. Well done to Aaron. And we can't watch to, uh, wait to watch Demolition Man on our next episode. Definitely will be giving us all the variety of going from seven to uh, this week with Rush Hour. And now a completely different film next time. Who knows where that will lead us to in connection to that one. So yeah, guys, where can people find you? Um, have you had any projects or anything that uh, you want to sort of shout out about? Aaron, where, where are you online, etc.? Um, Yeah, um, you can find me uh, basically a whole bunch of places but these days twitter is probably the best place you find me at it's me aaron p that's aaron with two a's and one r on twitter awesome and paul uh you can i don't know how long Twitter's gonna be alive for but while it's alive i'll be there <laughs> last man on the wall uh at paul klein yo with two o's um and from there you can find all my other stuff my letterboxed where i do my film reviews tiktok i'm on tiktok if you could believe such a thing 
you know, all those sort of stuff. Any anywhere where the internet exists, that's where I am, and I'm making terrible jokes. And TikTok is where you'll find the the buddy cop skits of you being grumpy with Anna Kendrick. <laughs> before I sell it off to Netflix, to last two seasons before it gets cancelled. Better that than Quibi. <laughs> oh God, yeah, remember that? Wow. Bring back Val. Right, well, thank thank you for joining us, guys. It's been an awesome episode. Uh, Craig, anything lastly from yourself? Nope, just I'm looking forward to the demolition. Okay. <laughs> right, well. Sounds like it. Thank you once again, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time for Demolition Man. Thank you once again, Aaron and Paul. Catch you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. See y'all. Bye. Bye. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. Why have I not got a pen? Come on, Craig, sort your life out.